Listen up, fuckos. I've seen a lot of stuff recently on social media saying that, oh, I can't vote for the Taliban because, oh, they're not perfect. They don't want every little single fucking policy idea that I want. So I'm going to, what, not vote or vote for the Northern Alliance? That is insane. What are you talking about? This is the Taliban are the one thing standing between us and four more years of um, whatever, whatever the other thing was. <laughs> an academic. You want an academic in the White House? Let's just say White, White House. House. <laughs> yeah, in the White House, in the Afghanistan White House. Here's the thing. I already said fucko. Uh, oh no, I'll do this one, bucko. I am. I'm mentally ill. I, I need bucko was my thing. That's a Liz word then. Hello, my name is Brace. <laughs> Hi, Brace. Hi. Um, Why I, are you so quiet? I, because I, I just want to make it clear. I was pretending to not know what the other thing besides the Taliban in Afghanistan was. It's the oh, government. Absolutely. You were doing it for the bit. You're committed yeah. to the bit. I was just pretending to be like a stupid, like stupid liberal person on TikTok. Mm. And now I feel like yeah, yeah. I'm like a stupid guy <laughs> just in, I don't know. I'm just, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Yeah, Don't well, that's why everyone that. hates me because I'm the only person who doesn't hate themselves. <laughs> you know that actually that actually might be true. Mm-hmm. Hello, everyone. I'm Liz. My name is Brace, the coolest, smartest, most handsome man in the universe. <laughs> Everybody loves him. Oh, we should listen to him all the time. Sorry, that was just someone on the street yelling out through my window. Oh, weird. Hey. We're joined by producer Hung Chomsky um, because he recently tried to kill himself. And uh, <laughs> we are... <laughs> <laughs> I love when I gotta say, Brace, when you actually laugh, it's so great. When you when you get the when you move past the wheezing into the yeah. like throat laugh, it really gives me joy. I got I'm not say. a big laugher. You always laugh at my jokes. Yeah, because I am supporting female comedians. <laughs> Someone's got to. Yeah. Welcome everyone. This is True None. Oh, good. You remembered. I was hoping that one of us would remember that because I forgot after I thought I should remember Mm. it. Well, I remembered. We are here for a little part two, part LaRue of uh, our Lyndon LaRue series, uh, which I was, I had it fucking- It's really a series. It's just two episodes. That's a series of episodes. No, but yeah, a series. I'm getting the back up here. To, you're, you're outvoted. More than you're two, outvoted. in my opinion. Mm, mm, absolutely wrong. You've never seen like I watched the series. It was a two-parter. No. Uh, so really let it. me ask you this: World Series happens. T- uh, wait, you can't win in two That's games. That's not. No, you can't do that. Um, oh, I'm sorry. What were you? Where were you going with that? Will you just say that loud for me? I was like, they win in two games, but you can't do that. Yeah, because so, it's a series. No, that's just how the rules are. It doesn't yeah, have to do the with rules the, for a series. No, it has nothing to do with the semantics of it. Uh, let's say that there were two like incidents of some kind involving me. No, and- a series of events is different than saying we're doing a series. You're fucking wrong. It's a series of events. The podcast is a fucking event. No, you got two parts. Two parters from a series, in my opinion. Being, you got to do three really, parts. You're being really, I just want to say you're being really rude to me right now. You're being really rude to me. Anyway, Lyndon LaRouche. So, where last we left our little, um, the la- the last we left LaRouche. When we last left LaRouche, he was like, "Damn, I should be racist now." Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mid seventies. Uh, you know, it, he it, it's getting hot out. I and for some reason, the late seventies to me is just everyone mm. in the country Global lived warming. in New York. No, they all just lived in New York and were like, damn, it's really yeah, hot. Yeah, out. yeah, yeah. Sprinkler, uh, no, the, the, um, fire hydrants. Fire hydrants constantly going. It's got mm-hmm. that balmy, sweaty, su- it's sweaty summer all the time. It's yeah, never winter. All the time. All, the, all time. the time. It's too hot out. No one's wearing shirts. Not a shirt and Just no, all no. shirts are open. Yeah, or tank tops. Yeah. 
So where we last left him, he was hanging out with the head of the Pennsylvania KKK. Uh, that guy introduces him to a fella named Ken Duggan. Uh, Dugan. Ken Dug- yeah, Dugan. Duggan? How do you pronounce this, Liz? I'm saying Dugan. All right, let's do Dugan. There's two Dugans in this, so this yeah, is a different Dugan that we'll get to later. Um, the other Dugan's actually Jewish, so this is, I guess, you can't tell my person by the last name. This guy is decidedly not Jewish. He is a neo-Nazi and uh, <laughs> an occultist. Also, I mean, we could do a whole, I, I there's a lot I know about this group of people, but that's kind of no, off No, go topic. into it. Well, he's an ally of a guy named William Card or Willis Cardo. Uh, and Who's that? Cardo, he is he runs a newsletter called Liberty Lobby. He's mm. sort of a right wing busybody. Uh, I would say you could say conspiracy theorist, yes, but also just like kind of just like a Nazi, um, but mm. friends with a lot of Republicans. Uh, he had a newsletter called Liberty Lobby, which, despite being put out by a avowed Nazi. Like a guy who had made no bones about being a Nazi, like not even just like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like he, like no, no, like f- hey, I'm a Nazi. Like I'm a Nazi. Like guys, the Holocaust did not happen. Yeah, middle name Hitler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Willis Carter Hitler. Um, he, uh, he, 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 he became friends with Larouche. He also started uh, something. I mean, he started like the Institute for Historical Review. Which was mm, like yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah. the leading like Holocaust denial like uh, journal. This um, is a big thing in the late seventies. Yeah, hot, get really sweaty, into it. open shirts, Nazis everywhere. They're like, no one could have done the Holocaust in this weather. Yeah, um, too hot. It, it's yeah. It, he is like he is a bad fucking guy. Uh, very much. Uh, these guys are definitely Larouche's, as far as I can tell, some of his first forays into to spider network territory. Hmm. Um, although certainly not his last, because Willis Cardo was the protege of one Francis Parker Yaki. Now, Yaki is way too much to get into here, but he was definitely a player, like a a one of the main American non-state players in uh in the spider network. Yeah. Um he was, I think Cardo was one of the last people to see him before his mysterious suicide. Uh, you know, but but Yaki was Basically, a Spengler ripoff and international Nazi, uh, post-war Nazi activist. Um, yeah, yeah. I, it's at this time too that these kind of like post—I don't even know. I guess you just said post-war international Nazi activists. I don't really know how else to describe them, um, but they make a lot of inroads and like in, they infiltrate a lot of the American conservative movement, which I know that obviously we have our own homegrown stuff going on that everyone is, I think, pretty well versed in. But the amount of international influence that was happening at this time is, you know, maybe people are a little less familiar with. Yeah, especially through like intelligence apparatuses. I mean, Virginia might as well have been the fucking Fourth Reich at this yeah. point. Um, again, a quarter of LaRouche's members were Jewish. A quarter. That is an ins- that's twenty five percent. And they were just like, oh, they're talking about like the the other Jews, I guess. Like it's like, but it's like, dude, they're talking about the Holocaust. That was like the whole point of the Holocaust. It was like most of Jewish people uh, were kind of like they would they they you know they, they kind of put most of them in there, not the Rothschilds, but uh, they yeah, it's like full on. Larouche becomes and stays just openly and intensely anti-Semitic. And you know how when people are like Zionism is like Zionism is a code word for Jewish. Like when people say Zionist, they're being like anti-Semitic and like, you know, it's usually not true. Like, you know, overwhelmingly not true, but LaRouche kind of gives the game away when he does it because he puts quotes around Zionist every time he writes it out. (laughs) So it'd be like the Zionists uh, at the banks are, you know, like, you know, uh, profiting on the drug trade or whatever. Uh, and LaRouche just like goes all out and he starts getting serious about getting power. He stopped thinking of like, you know, these left-wing organizations or whatever as his cohorts, as like peers or some, uh, anything like that. He's like actually wants to get into Washington. And when 1980 rolls around, a little something called the Reagan revolution comes. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. So LaRouche makes like actual serious inroads with like the Reagan people and like deep in the administration, it's odd. Uh, Norman Bailey, who was a member of the national security council under Reagan, he basically said that LaRouche's org 
was useful to them because of how many international contacts they had. Now, remember what we said about the kind of international contacts that LaRouche was dealing with, right? Like he was making inroads with a lot of like very bizarro international players, but who were also setting up like satellite orgs for LaRouche in other countries at this Mm -hmm. same time. Um, Little like LaRouche parties, little LaRouche sex, all of that. Um, And it, it proved to be, I mean, at the time what the Reagan administration saw was like kind of a very useful uh, novel apparatus for, I mean, the best way to say is just spreading disinformation. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Spreading disinformation and collecting information, sort of using it as like an addendum to the intelligence sources they yeah. already had. Private I mean, intelligence. F- exactly, private intelligence. And as as we'll explain in a second too, there was also a secondary um, fusion uh, type uh, motivation here too. So we've made... A few allusions, probably more than a few allusions, to LaRouche's intelligence apparatus, but I think we should actually explain what it was. So LaRouche is mostly known, well, not mostly known, but widely known for a magazine he put out called Executive Intelligence Review, which is a very (laughs) luxurious name. Again, but also very normal yeah. sounding. Very Ex- normal You're sounding. You're like, oh, EIR, Executive Intelligence Review. First of all, great design, very plain. Mm-hmm. Oh, very plain. Very plain. And that great late 80s, almost unfortunately now, Adam Curtis vibe. Yeah. And two, well, that sounds important. It's an executive intelligence executive. review. Exactly. The executive yeah. one. He was also smart too because he really it was the subscriptions were like four hundred dollars in the eighties for a year. <laughs> really? Yeah, I mean they put out a lot that of. Co- I think it was. Smart. I think it was weekly. Um, but it was they also like upsold you like if you want like a twenty five hundred dollar like daily briefing kind of thing, um, or if you wanted like special reports they put out they're like two hundred dollars each. So these guys were making some dough from this. Hmm. But uh, so the NCLC, you know, back in the seventies, actually started an intelligence operation in seventy six. Uh, they had basically three fa- facets of this. They had an intelligence division actually devoted mostly to open source intelligence at the time, a science unit, and then LaRouche's security staff, uh, which has a wide variety of members in it. Um, it was, intelligence division was started by a former German naval cadet named Hanke von Proppert, uh, who claimed to have worked for NATO before, and who now he probably actually- probably did, to be honest. Well, it's, you know, what's funny is, is I was looking, I was like, I wonder if this guy's still alive and he is still alive and he is working. I found out where he's working, uh, because like a, I believe Hindu nationalist Bitcoin guy was like really mad about some China stuff. And he was like tracking some, you know, Chinese owned finance firm. And this guy works as an analyst for them. Um, How long before the Taliban gets into Bitcoin, you think? I will say some of the, I mean, I, we were talking about this earlier, like some of the like somewhat semi-pro, like kind of based whatever accounts Ugh. in Kabul are like all Bitcoin people. I know. Do you think those are real? I kind of do, kind of don't. I, I don't know. know. I don't know. I, I mean, if those are real, those people are really just somewhere wrong. Um, Bitcoin people are freaks. Yes. Uh Anyways, basically what this atel- this uh, amounts to at first is like people working for 16 hours a day looking shit up and like calling people for interviews and that don't get printed. They're like call a police chief telling them that they're going to interview them and then they'll basically just, you know, they'll ask them a bunch of questions but just keep that information and put it in a dossier. This operation grows and it actually mm-hmm. grows quickly. By the 80s, they have a full-on headquarter in Wiesbaden, Germany. At- This is where things get really funky. I mean, Dennis King, the author of the book, uh, you know, we'll we'll link to it in the uh, in the description. Yeah, you can Um, read it online actually for free. I mean, his website is fantastic. It's it's an incredible resource for LaRue shit. Um, Says that so this must have cost millions of dollars. I'm inclined to believe him because they had a huge operation in just a few years. Um, But okay, stop for a second, Mm -hmm. pause, and not in that way. Where's this money coming from? I don't know. That's one of those. That's the one of those membrane moments with him. It's like mm. who is funding him? Because they, they. I mean, as we'll talk about later, they did steal a lot of people's credit card information yeah. later in the eighties. <laughs> um, <just to laughs> there was rampant, there. rampant fraud. However, 
it doesn't seem like that's what's happening here. It actually seems like there's, you know, I mean, some I'm inclined capital. to believe that there is, you know, some money changing hands along the way from the U.S. 100%. government, you know, flowing on through as, you know, that this was the time for all of that shit to be happening. So that's what I would imagine. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't even know who the culprit would be in this, but like mm-hmm. it definitely like. Somebody gave them some money and somebody yeah. knew what they wanted and they did work, end up working with the US government and a lot of America's allies after this. Um, although against them too, it's, it gets very complicated. But, but that, that, that headquarters in Wiesbaden, uh, LaRouche meets fucking Reinhard Gellin there, who is like literally, if there is a guy who's like the head of the spider network, it's fucking yeah. Gellin. Like, he was he he had an organization called the Gellin Organization immediately after World War II. He was like the chief of Wehrmacht uh, Eastern uh, Intelligence during the war. So afterwards, 1946, he basically starts an XSS, uh, like private intelligence firm for West German government, um, which conducts hits for like the CIA. It's a horrible, horrible history of these people. And then later, the Gellin Organization becomes um, – the the basically West Germany's version of the CIA. It, this guy is fucking meeting with LaRouche in the eighties. Like that is that's high level. That's high level shit. I mean, it's it's and and the thing is too is like this actually sort of surprised me. LaRouche actually had a German intelligence general, uh, a military intelligence general, uh, Paul Albert Scherer who was a member of LaRouche's German party. Uh, I think it was called Patriots for Germany, although he was actually still in the Social Democratic Party while this was, uh, while this was happening. That's <laughs> the thing. It's like, well, like, you know, people are like, well, how the fuck does this guy have so much information? It's like he would go to these countries and, and basically like zero in on these military figures and get them to be in his organization. Mm. Did the same thing in Italy. I mean, almost every country that they operated in they were operating with the backing and sometimes with like the full membership in the organization of of generally high ranking military men, which is insane. It is insane. You know when you know the left is always time we need a fourth international. Mm-hmm. Larouche tried. He tried. He literally tried to start a fifth <laughs> international. That's what like that's that was his goal with Jerry Healy in the in the sixties. Yeah. He tried to say, did not work. I, I don't know which one they're up to now. I don't know um, either. But I mean, check this out, baby. So he he fucking gets the younger brother of this guy, Herbert Hellenbreusch. I don't know how to fucking pronounce that. I the head of the BFD, which yeah, <laughs> which is the uh, the the Germany's domestic intelligence uh, operations, like they're, they're FBI basically. The head of the anti 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 terror part of the German FBI, uh, who by the way gets the LaRouche organization removed from the list of extremists. That guy's younger brother. It, this is such a long. This is a really, really long story. I, 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 it's there's a lot to it. But basically, the the Larouche organization tried to tra- trade with the Spanish police uh, in the in the fucking eighties, uh, the early eighties. Information on ETA, like Basque country militants living mm-hmm. in France, in exchange for a dossier on Otto Scorzani's business holdings. Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> I don't know if they got the information, but they Does that did dossier give dossier exist. I mean, if it existed, the Spanish would have it. That's where he lived after the yeah, I mean, yeah. It's I mean, he had a whole fucking private military company there, Paladin Group. Um, but uh, like the crazy thing is, they actually did have information on where Bass militants were living in France. They mm. gave them to the Spanish police. The head of the uh, this this sort of extrajudicial death squad called GAL. Um, arranges meetings with LaRouche. By the way, that's the socialist uh, interior minister and also probably the prime minister was in on it. LaRouche is like goes to fucking Spain and meets with these people who are behind this anti-Bass death squad. And Arno, Herbert Hellenbroich's little brother, also goes and facilitates with them. So they actually have this weird sort of like para- in like state intelligence organization that's actually getting real people killed in real life. I tracked down the main guy that was behind this and uh, let me see where I, I fuck, where'd I put his information? Here it is. I'm just talking to waste time. The main guy behind it, Herbert Quinn or Herbert Quinn 
uh, is now a career services officer at a Catholic uh, theological union in Chicago, but I think he might have died of COVID. This, oh, um, I don't know why that just made me. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I felt bad, but I'm like, you also, I think, got a lot of people killed. Maybe? Absolutely. Yeah. This is what's so crazy to me about LaRouche and the, the kind of like figure of LaRouche is because like we said at the beginning of this is that like, oh, he's kind of known as a crank. Like I mentioned him to... I was talking to my dad and I mentioned him and he was like, Oh yeah, I kind of remember that. And that guy, that was like a weird thing that happened. And like, that's kind of what people's relationship to him is, or, you know, maybe like we said, and we'll get into some of the stuff and like, you know, after the financial crisis and him kind of popping up again in the kind of like confusionist landscape, political landscape. But like there's at this point in the, in the, in the 80s, in the early 80s, late 70s, he's like making real inroads and like touching yeah. like real power in weird ways. Like much closer, when we talk about like American, like, I mean, he's not, a. I, I would never call him a Marxist or at any point in his life a Marxist. But if you talk about American Marxists, he might be the closest one to fucking center of power. Uh, yeah. I can't think of, you know what I mean? I mean, he he was. It's that's kind of the thing. It's like this is the thing. It's like you you write Larouche off as a crank, and then you find out something like this, and it's like Jesus Christ, you know. Yeah. I mean, the guy too was. I mean, like you said, he set up Larouche organizations in every country, including in South America. You know, they get a, I believe, Brazilian military man elected mm-hmm. at one point on the Larouche actually fission fission energy ticket. Um, but you know, he's giving fucking information to Savak, the Shah's security service. He's me, he met with Indira Gandhi twice. Like he's meeting with the fucking president of Mexico. They work, they bring the Peruvian prime minister who is a member of the Schiller Institute to fucking advise Ferdinand Marcos during the last days of his regime in the Philippines. Like what the fuck is going on here? He he's working with the Thai government. He's spying on groups of the South African government, much like the ADL who is his enemy. But uh, who also did that. And the crazy thing is this fucking – Liz and I were talking about this before. This blew my mind. I know he worked with Manuel Noriega in fucking Panama. Dude, this is so weird. Yes. You know, Noriega, famously a CIA drug mm. and gun runner who got burned by the agency, fucking, you know, yeah. uh, like arrested, put in prison in Florida, all that kind of shit. His main contact with Noriega was through a diehard cadre of the LaRouche org named Carlos Wesley, who was a Panamanian member of the Schiller Institute. Uh, when Noriega took power, they established relations with him because LaRouche acted like a statement, statesman. Like he would go meet with yeah, foreign yeah, yeah. heads of state. Um, through contacts in trade unions and their own contacts in organized crime, uh, he feeds Noriega intelligence in exchange for money. And uh, in the whole LaRouche, and we'll talk about the mafia in a little bit, but the whole LaRouche, like, uh, mindset there's good mafia and bad mafia which is represented by the uh, british royal family and jewish people that's the bad one uh, good mafia is sort of like patriotic mafia noriega is like good mafia and so when noriega is uh, being investigated by the senate in the mid 80s larouche is feeding him dossiers on the senators noriega kills an opposition leader this guy dr hugo spatafora which is like a big deal uh, he gave Noriega, in, or excuse me, he gave Noriega gave Larouche information to publish to make it in in EIR, which was read by a lot of intelligence people, to make it seem like someone like an, uh, another faction killed the guy and then smeared him in later issues of the magazine. After Noriega gets arrested, Carlos Wesley, like I mentioned earlier, would mm-hmm. visit him every single Friday in prison for years and years and years and live translate Larouche's fucking telecast insane sorry i'm shaking my head because it's so unbelievable i mean it's it's totally unbelievable but that's what i'm saying it's like larouche is a crank larouche imagined plots that didn't exist you know i mean they're like if you read any given larouche publication i mean they're they're fucking insane most of the time um although there are often very often kernels of truth to them um but he believed in all this stuff that didn't exist. He believed that the CIA was out to get him. All these people were out to get him. I don't think anyone really was, 
but he was also like inserting himself. He was like a nouveau riche intelligence guy. Mm, like nouveau riche mixed with vanguardist. Yeah, yeah. It's very weird. You know, you mentioned the good mafia, bad mafia thing. I want to like put a pin in that real quick because that is kind of a throwback also to his weird sort of like kind of turn away from Marxism or however we want to call his like Confucianist Marxist stuff, which is that like he basically like back in his early life would say like, okay, we've got to like turn away from the, the only way to fight the finance capitalists is to side with the industrial capitalists. Yeah. And this is like a weird sort of, this gets repeated in various ways kind of throughout, I don't know, post-war Marxist thought. Like, I don't know. It's a very weird sort of, it, it sort of, I don't know, envisions itself as a kind of like strate- strategist move. Yeah. Um. But so it is like repeated, like LaRouche sort of repeats that kind of same, you know, like you said, the Assassin's Creed mentality or this like good mafia, bad mafia. It's always like one side or the other, uh, industrial versus finance, uh, you know, good versus evil, evil, Platonist versus Aristotelians. Um, and it's the only way that he can kind of like translate whatever we we call his like worldview, but also how he says like, you have to make these choices and side with one side or the other or whatever, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's crazy too, just how malleable his, like the sides are with that mm. too. Like he will pick up and discard or change the sides of enemies and friends constantly. I mean, LaRouche's writings are, I mean, you kind of have to read them to understand, but like, they are very unclear. I don't mm-hmm. think he is he, in, in short pamphlets. He can be a very coherent writer. If um, sometimes he uses and a lot of bad words. speaking as well. Yes, but his longer works. I mean, I've read Oof. three Larouche books in the past uh, week. Uh, I've read Dope Inc. or most of Dope Inc. Uh, I've read it before, so I kind of skimmed through it this time. Um, the sexual impotence of the Puerto Rican Socialist Party <laughs> and his autobiography. The autobiography um, is wild. The autobiography is wild because there's like four facts about his life, not in order. No. And then it's, it's some of the greatest quotes I've ever seen. It's like, it, it was about age 16 that I surpassed Marx in my training. Yeah. Like he he is clearly the most like, I don't understand how people could have read his writing back then and been like, well, this guy is a trustworthy leader. Like he is- he constantly refers to himself essentially as the smartest man who's ever lived in like plain unadorned language or actually very unclear, very adorned language. It's like let in through a looking glass. It's like yeah. very, very weird where it imagines itself very, um, I don't know. Yeah. Always making the moves towards power. Yeah. 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 Uh, never, never, never quite getting there, but he, I mean, he, he was definitely adjacent to it. Like, like with the Reagan administration, one of his big things was, all right, this is, this might, so for a long time, I thought LaRouche was trying to build a giant laser beam to <laughs> hold the world hostage, like in Austin Powers, sort of resident evil type move mm. or not resident evil, excuse me, Dr. Evil type move. <laughs> I still think he's trying to, he was trying to do that. Like, I'm like not convinced he wasn't trying to hold the world hostage with the giant space-based laser beam. Um, because in the in the mid-70s, he became aware of giant space-based laser beams um, or fission, yeah. fusion weapons. And uh, I, that really drives a lot of his thinking for like the next 10 years. Yeah. So this is like, just to put it in context, this is early 70s. Everyone remember, well, not everyone remembers. I mean, I don't even remember, but everyone knows that there's the famous oil embargo from OPEC. And so this is like the er peak oil crisis. Yes. Remember peak oil? That feels like a real LaRouche moment to peak Uh, oil guys. I gotta be real. The fact that none of us have a car, which by the way, none of us have a car. uh, And Liz and I don't know how to drive kind of makes it really not our fucking problem. (laughs) No, but so like everyone's like oil scarcity is like, the hot topic of the day and blah, 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 blah. LaRouche gets like super into nuclear and that's like his, his huge thing. Um, he's like trying to, you know, this is a moment we're calling for into, this is that kind of Promethean 
viewpoint as yes. well, right? Like we need more uh, fission research. We need to, you know, transition the world to nuclear, um, you know, and a lot in the government really don't take a lot of nuclear seriously. No. And and the thing Still is- to this let, day, to be honest. Well, let's, let's make this clear once again. We have done this a few times on the podcast. We are very pro-nuclear. Mm. Like this is a this is a pro nuclear podcast. Yeah. Yang bang um, us into the green dream, baby. Exactly, and so he is. Actually, I don't really know exactly what his plan for nuclear is. I did read some of his plans for infrastructure, and they are uh, ambitious to say the least. But he actually was pushing like really hard for nuclear funding because he starts he starts this magazine or this group called the Fusion Energy Foundation, which puts yeah. out a magazine I again think just called Great Fusion. Name. Great name. Yeah. And the thing is, this actually works pretty well to get actual nuclear scientists on board. He's like a player within a few years, and especially within like five years after starting it, he is a real deal player in the fusion industry. Like he is an actual, like he's like a nuclear guy. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he himself maybe knows that much about it, but uh, you know, this was Carter. Carter banned breeder reactors and experimental reactors, which, by the way, I do not know enough about nuclear to um, say tell you what that is. Uh, but I read a couple articles about it. Couldn't repeat what I read. It's not our job to educate you. Not our job to educate you. Google. Uh, Google is your friend. Um, so this enraged Larouche, and uh, Larouche started calling for really more nuclear power, which people, you know, it wasn't as unpopular as, as it is now. Uh, this draws him really close to scientists. And again, like we said, he pushed for funding and that draws him even closer to scientists. And so at some point, like major nuclear scientists are signing on to LaRouche stuff and backing yeah. LaRouche. They're yeah. like, even though he's crazy, we we like him because he's like the most, I mean, the guy is, uh, as a teenager would say to me, if they would fucking talk to me, um, he's out of pocket and extra and he fucking is a uh, crazy man. And so he like pushes really hard for this shit and they, they appreciate that. So, you know, it, it's <laughs> by the, by the, <laughs> I mean, this is just, it gets really ridiculous in a second, but he is, um, his private intelligence firm is also collecting information on anti-nuclear activists and giving it to, uh, power companies. They're yes. very against Jane Fonda, who was still really hot at this time. So actually that's like, they shouldn't have done that. Uh, and by the early eighties, Mr. Ed, that, Fake mm. CIA agent. Yeah, we the, the horse. Earlier. He whispers. Can you do it for me? He whisper into my ear. No, in I a can't horse. do it. It was like I can't do a horse thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, uh, Reese. Uh, I know he talks, Mister like, Larouche, right? Like that? He talks yeah, like, yeah, he talks yeah, 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 yeah. Mister Larouche. Um, we need uh space based beam weapons. Uh, <laughs> and Lyndon, yeah, like this is the thing: is yeah. that he is not content with earthly earthly science. He wants no. to take it to the cosmos, and he like starts oh, yeah. really fucking pushing for space space weapons, which. Again, if some of you may recall by knowing history and not being of that age like ourselves, that uh, Reagan was all about the Star Wars. Yeah. And this and is the late 70s, early 80s. Star Wars, huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wife gave best blowjob in <laughs> Los Angeles, they say. You know about that? You can do the Yoda voice. My, uh, my, my, Wait, or my is that... Wife. Wait... <laughs> No, wait, I can't do it. Now I'm, now wait, I'm never. It, do it, do it. I've never done this before. Wait, um, really? No, I've never tried it. Uh, That's great for a first try. Uh, uh, the, the Slav. I feel like Grover or something. Yeah, it's a little the, Grover-y. Uh, um, uh, I don't <laughs> wait, can you really not think of something to say? Uh, let me think of it. Uh, a horse whispered. Well, I can't do the reverse talking is the problem. I can yeah, only yeah, do it. Yeah, I yeah, can yeah. only do a linear style talking uh, type speak. So here's the, we're not talking about your damn Star Wars with your fucking Jar Jar Binks and uh, uh, what's what the fat guy? Uh, uh, 
Job of the Hut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Um, yeah, we actually we straight up actually don't know Jabba's. Well, no, Jabba's a guy, I think. But does Jabba have a dick? I feel like his whole body's a dick. So yeah, because he's with uh, what's her name in the gold bikini. Yeah, he's not really with her. I mean, like, well, sh- you think she's. Hold stuck. on, you're both you're both making face motions like they, that. Jabba fucked Leia. I thought that was the implication. Is that what everyone else thinks happened? Yeah, because she isn't she like handcuffed to him, and she's in the gold bikini. She's a dancing girl, man. She's part of the retinue. A dancing girl? Yeah, she. Well, What's I mean, a that's red? Her. Wait, are you a Star Wars person? No, dude, I've seen Star Wars. He's so changed. Have I. I have literally him. no idea what you're talking she's about. She's dancing for him. That's her whole thing. She's dressed in like an Arabic kind of like clothes. No, 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 clothes. no, no. She's literally handcuffed to him. Yeah, she's handcuffed to him because she just can't dance away. You guys are out of your fucking minds. Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure that, you know, something went down. You know what? Jabba. Yeah, that was definitely implied. Heavily implied. All right. This is a. Someone call Mr. Lucas. All right. Well, somebody somebody call the Time's Up Foundation. There's way too many Star Wars now. Oh, boy. I'm just so tired of all these Star Wars. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, They just keep shoving them out. Yeah. What was the. Clone Wars. Did anyone see that? I think that was a TV show. Cartoon, right? Yeah. No, I'm 31 years old. Uh, I think a lot of 31-year-olds The only cartoon I watch is Big Mouth. Uh, I watch Big Mouth and South Park. South Park's still on? I don't know why we're talking about this. Back to Lyndon LaRousse. Okay, so we we really we left them hanging with a really why we went on for a long time there. So what we got now? We, We're talking right, about the so, Star Wars. So Star Wars was the strategic defense initiative. There is it famously did not happen, and then they tried to pretend that they never meant for it to happen. It was only to psych out the Soviets. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were like, haha, we were just kidding. We weren't actually trying to build space-based laser beams. That's so stupid. Obviously, you can't do that. You can't do that. We just wanted to trick the Soviets into spending money trying to do it. So, you know out there, some of you fellas- Classic US move. uh, You might have sent people text messages like, damn, I did something really fucked up. Don't tell anybody. Please send me a nude in response so that we have mutually assured destruction. You know how people do that? Like, what? I killed my neighbor's cat. Oh, like, accident. oh, we I both got dirt on each other. Yeah. Now yeah, we're, yeah. you know, text brothers, text exactly. blood brothers. I don't know anything yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah, so you get but. your boys dick. Yeah, anyway. So I don't need to go into here mutually assured destruction, blah, 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 blah. Basically, in, if there was going to be a nuclear war, the United States wanted to make sure that only the Soviet Union got destroyed and they could destroy the Soviets' missiles if they came in. So they were going to have space-based beam weapons. Mm-hmm. And this was LaRouche's like huge fucking like big project for because LaRouche, he's nothing if not an infrastructure guy. And as we've learned, basically everything is infrastructure. Every week is infrastructure week for him. Uh-huh. And so uh he he gets like super, super, super behind this idea, pushes for it, is like a giant outside the government lobbyist for it, gets all these nuclear scientists on board. Um, and then later claims he actually gave Reagan the idea at an NRA presidential forum uh backstage. I think the only time he ever appeared with Reagan. Uh, which is actually kind of possible, although I don't think Reagan came up with the idea. So I, I doubt I like in a way, like I'm sure he told Reagan something about space-based beam weapons, but I don't think Reagan was like, it's not like Reagan came up with that. Um, and, uh, through that though, through strategic defense initiative, he becomes really close to a lot more people in the Reagan administration. Yeah. All those people he becomes close with in the Reagan admin are going to end up possibly screwing him over pretty deep in a, mm-hmm. in, you know, basically about six years. But yeah. in between that, my man's running for president constantly. He loves running for president. Always I mean, running for president. Every year. You're like, LaRouche on the ballot? Yes. Uh, yeah. Duh. And this becomes actually really key to his fundraising. And then later on, 
fraud charges. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, like LaRouche loves getting matching funds from the government while he's running for president. Yes. Um, in order to stop Carter from committing thermonuclear genocide. Well, that's why he would always run on their Democratic Party ticket, mm-hmm. so he could get the matching funds. Yes. And you know what? Smart man. Smart man. Yeah, exactly. Bleed Dude, that the, bleed that higher than that government. Between 82 and 88, the LaRouche organization runs four in 4,000 Democratic primaries. <laughs> I mean, that is ins- a lot of the time it's just like old racist people that like mm. don't really know who LaRouche is that they recruit to run in, you know, because there's only like a thousand people in his organization. So they, but they, and sometimes they just have everybody who's in the LaRouche, like NCLC run in some kind of primary and a lot of them win the craziest one is in like the most famous one is i think 86 when a larouche candidate won the democratic primary for lieutenant governor of illinois incredible she promised to send tanks uh into chicago to uh, larouche was a really big drug war guy and she was going to solve this by sending tanks in to uh to i guess (laughs) kill people or restore order? I don't really know. Um, but she she lost. And also in 86 in California, LaRouche members formed something called Panic, Prevent AIDS Now Initiative Committee in order to put Prop 64 on the ballot. That would make AIDS a communicable disease, which means, uh, you know, sounds maybe you know not so big a deal, but that means it's like having plague or something. And so you have to be quarantined and get fired from your job and are not allowed to leave either your house or a camp. Mm. Um it gets defeated that year and then also in 88 when they do it again. So this is, again, we don't have the time for this, but he is, his 1992 running mate is a guy named uh, the Reverend James Bevel, who is a pretty well-known civil rights guy that was pretty close to Dr. King. Remember the SCLC organized the march from Selma to Montgomery, uh, was president at the, Dr. King's assassination. Uh John Lewis says he remembers a dark side to the guy, uh, which, I mean, John Lewis, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but I believe this, where he declared himself a prophet at one point and had his students drink his urine. Um, I bet that's true. Yeah, it, it, I know. Exactly. I'm like, that sounds true to me. Uh, gets weirder and weirder as the 70s goes on. And by the 80, by 1980, he endorses Reagan, gets involved with the Moonies. And mm. then after that, Never get involved, involved with, in the moon with the moon. Never get involved with them. You know, that's a, such Even a if, bad idea. Yeah, you're a liver shake. Come on. Yeah, I know the Moonies Have some were respect. big back oh, then. Oh, they were big. That was like the Reagan religion. The Moonies were still big in like the late '90s, early 2000s. I remember knowing about the Moonies when I was younger. Oh yeah, you I know? knew about the Moonies. Oh, I knew about the Moonies. You know about the Moonies? Hmm. I I prefer the Sunnies. Oh. Anyways. LaRouche sends Dr. J- or excuse me, the Reverend James Bevel to Nebraska to investigate the Franklin cover-up or the Franklin right, scandal. Right, right. Um, that is, he's mentioned a lot in John DeCamp's book about uh about yeah. the affair Franklin. That is, I don't know how to interpret that. Mm. Um it is uh, someone. I was talking to someone about this earlier, and they, they were like, "I think the first like uh, SRA allegations came from uh, came from Bevel, but it's as we'll soon find out was not an innocent player in that himself. And I don't know if they were sent there to make it, I don't know, to fuck it up because they didn't generally didn't do things exactly like that. But uh, very, yeah, very odd chapter in the Larouche, uh, the Larouche." organizational timeline. Uh, anyways, um, in 2006, uh, James Bevel is arrested on several counts of incest for having molested uh, all eight of his... No, I, well, it's only for having molested one daughter, but uh, it said he molested all eight of his daughters. So, uh, mm. yes. Um, the kind of characters that are hanging around here. mentioned that later on LaRouche uh or I don't know if we mentioned this but we're gonna mention it now he ends up in jail (laughs) yes um in 1986 and this is pretty crazy his headquarters in Virginia is raided by over 300 federal agents like state and federal agents 300 that's that's a lot that's a lot and it's very confusing as to why it was so many um 
They are, there's like five of his aides are indicted on 117 charges, including the guy who was the former Grand Wizard of the KKK. I forgot the guy's name. Brian Kowser. Yeah, there we go. Um, there's a bunch of stuff. LaRouche himself is is also indicted, but most of it has to do with cr- rampant credit card fraud and obstruction of justice for trying to obstruct in- the investigation into the credit card fraud. <laughs> At one yes. point, LaRouche himself attempts to contact the former CIA director to basically get the feds off of his case. And that's what's really weird about this whole thing. So we mentioned that, you know, LaRouche had this whole kind of like porous, wide intelligent, private intelligence apparatus. And it it's kind of um, like the kind of like public facing it did with the CIA or there was no public facing rather, but it they were very much in contact and information being passed back and forth, back and forth. Um, it's very clear that LaRouche had very real ties in the CIA and the kind of security apparatus yep. being fed disinformation for himself to disseminate through his organizations, but also him passing information to them. And so for him to like try to contact the former CIA director to get the feds off his back is completely plausible. And like, yeah. I legit think that happened. Um, in fact, it was like both, it was most likely Bobby Ray Inman who actually would meet with LaRouche at Langley getting regular briefings. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of like, that's the thing with LaRouche. It's like, I actually think that he thought he was maybe more of a player rather than somebody who was being played, you know, like, right, I, I don't right, think, right, right, right. I, like obviously LaRouche did have real intelligence capabilities and dealt like on a sort of on the level level with, you know, heads of state and stuff like that. I think when it comes to the CIA though, I don't think that, I mean, they don't, they don't necessarily really need a guy like LaRouche, but Mm -hmm. like, I mean, like to give them, you know, intelligence, maybe they do, but I, I, you know, he's much more useful as I would see it as a way to disseminate their line. I mean, executive intelligence review was widely read uh, in intelligence circles and among people who are sort of aficionados of the stuff. And so if you wanted something like we saw they did with Noriega, if you wanted something laundered, you could launder it through there. And they like continued to do like through even the 2000s and probably to this day, to be honest, he gets basically indicted on, yeah, mail fraud, conspiracy to commit mail fraud, (laughs) tax evasion, obstruction of justice. He gets uh, 15 years after a short trial. A bunch of other guys um, of his aides, those five guys, they get in between, like they get all different sentences. One guy got 77 years. Which woof. LaRouche goes on to I thought that was so cute. He calls them the LaRouche Five and tries to get that to stick. It does not. Um but yeah, a bunch of like 14 states basically all together coordinate and clamp down on the orgs, on all the different state orgs. A bunch of banks like freeze their assets. Um they're basically like the LaRouche organizations are basically all forced into bankruptcy. Um, because courts hit them with a ton of fines and it really does feel like a clampdown on his whole apparatus. Like it really does. I don't know how else to really put it. LaRouche's attorneys like really run with that. They claim that LaRouche's organization was like basically infiltrated by the feds back during the sixties at through the COINTEL program. And they get all these memos from the government that really are like pretty interesting. Um, there's one memo from former FBI chief, William Webster, basically asking for all of this like funding information. And they, his lawyers then say that this is proof that the FBI was using active measures, which is like, you know, a classification for them, uh, it's like under an executive order in order for them to use a certain amount of powers when they're infiltrating or, uh, political organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, all this stuff is interesting. They found out that they found like a memo from Kissinger himself asking the FBI to investigate the organization. Um, so can this I tell was- them why that? Can I tell them why that is real quick? <laughs> yes. You guys can't get mad at me for this. 
I want every listener right now to promise me you. I'm gonna say a, a word that's a bad word to say, and you cannot get mad at me about this. You have to promise me. LaRouche hated Henry Kissinger and often called him the bad F word, which I'm about to say, just warning you, uh, in print. Uh, famously, I mean, some of his essays very frequently use that. Um, LaRouche sent, when Henry Kissinger was being taken to the hospital one time, LaRouche sent one of his members to just go to like buy the ambulance and call um, Henry Kissinger a faggot. It was either that or at an airport. But anyways, he was going to the hospital. Yeah, in his in Kissinger's memo, he calls it increasingly obnoxious harassment, which I think is very funny, increasingly obnoxious. I agree that I find LaRouche and his work increasingly obnoxious. Um, later on, LaRouche claims that Gorbachev ordered the the raid on his offices classic yeah and then later says that Gorbachev's wife did which I thought was a very innovative move Mm -hmm. um but yeah he gets out after five years just kind of classic parole moment um and that's by that time it's the mid 90s now he at this set you know at this point he says oh George H.W. put me in and Bill Clinton got me out and that was like kind of his his moment and it's true like many people he real he pivots to the left here in the 90s mm-hmm. he makes a real pivot and this is where that kind of like internationalist humanist liberal kind of LaRouche moment happens yeah. and he starts really focusing on um, I would say, I don't know, making what like stock market predictions and saying that we all need to do more international cooperation. That becomes a big thing. Yeah. To create a kind of new liberal, like humanist global order. Yeah, I mean, his big thing now, well, he's dead now, but his organization's big thing now and his big thing before he died was a land bridge from China, Mm. uh, to which I think is actually a tunnel that they're talking about. Um, And he wants America to be part of what he called the New Silk Road, but I believe he's Mm. referring to um, Belt and Road. Yeah, in the late 90s, everyone called it the New Silk Road. But he is an infrastructure freak. And so his whole thing became international cooperation between the US, China, and Russia. Of course, the subtext there being against the British crown. Right, right, um, right. They, they, the organization never stopped doing stuff like ripping off old people. I mean, their, their big thing, like what Liz was talking about, is like they would basically stand at airports and they would cold call, cold call mostly old people. They, they called them their boomer phone squads that they would have doing this. Sometimes 12 to 16 hours a day and, uh, and ask them for their credit card information, say they were loans for scientific things, you know, introduce themselves as like fission people, whatever, uh, and then often use the uh, credit cards uh, in one case to actually fly to Panama and hang out with Oriega. Um, and, uh, you know, the guy I talked to, the former LaRouche Youth Movement member, told me that like when he was in it, all they did basically every day was just sit in an office and call people on the phone and ask them for money. The LaRouche movement was essentially, I mean, it, it became a vehicle. I mean, they always did this. I mean, the donations were a giant part of it from the very beginning. But like, as far as I can tell, that's almost exclusively what they were doing um, or what they're doing now. There's a lot of other stuff with LaRouche too. I mean, there's almost, I mean, there is too much to get into. Liz and I were talking about this before the episode. It's like, there's so much weirdness with this guy and so many like kind of kooky ideas he had. I have a ton of notes on LaRouche in the Teamsters. Uh, you know, in the eighties, he tried to get really close to uh, Midwestern Teamsters, including people that were very close to Jimmy Hoffa. And he succeeded. He got a lot of like kind of mafia type Teamsters into his organization. Um, he got Mitch Werbel, who we talked about a lot in the JFK episodes. Uh, he was an employee and trainer of the LaRouche movement in small arms training as like a security advisor. Uh, Werbel, I think, introduced himself to some people in the Cleveland mob. They met Jerry Hemming of Interpen, which we talked about at the fucking uh, in the JFK episodes. Uh, also, I found out that Werbel used to claim that he dropped live rats infected with bubonic plague on Vietnam. Uh, 
I mean, the, the thing is insane. I mean, but basically what happens is, is in the eighties, they, they get really entangled with the good mafia. Like we were talking about basically surrounding the teamsters in Cleveland and Detroit. Um, they get a lot of these guys, a lot of like Hoffa's guys into the LaRouche organization because Hoffa's guys thought they could use them to beat back teamsters for a democratic union who they said, uh, were in the employ of the Ayatollah Khomeini. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, this, the shit gets really well. They end up, they end up doing a nationwide free Carlos Marcella. You might remember from our JFK episodes campaign. I mean, it is like Sam Giancana. Yeah. He's fucking, involved. Like, is involved in all of this. Like it is some of this shit. It just gets so out there that it's like, it, but it's crazy because it's not an organic connection. Like LaRouche is going after these people because he thinks that they can get them closer to power or start some kind of like combination between them and the industrialists. Or just um, like mess shit up too. Yes. I mean, yeah. that I really feel like that is such a, I mean, at least, you know, whether or not he understood that, who knows? I don't know, whatever. But clearly other, you know, people in power could see that his movement organization whatever was useful as you know basically confucianists as like yeah. you know insert this you know very bizarro organization into other things and watch the chemistry change yeah 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 and you know like like liz was saying towards when after following the bus they they lost a lot of relevance um they mostly seem to focus now, or one of their big, big, big issues now, if not their biggest one, is changing um, the pitch that music is played at to si- what they call what's called scientific or Verdi pitch. Uh, they attribute a lot of um, social ills, in fact, most social ills, to uh, the fact that a conspiracy changed what pitch music is, 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 is tuned to or played at. I, again, I, you know, as a long time rock and roller, don't really know what the fuck he's talking about. Uh, but they say that, you know, all rock music is evil. Correct. Um, and that all country music is evil, which did not stop me, them from making an hour long country medley, uh, talking about ending the fed, which I watched the entirety of the other night, uh, around three in the morning. Um, and, uh, it, it is. It is. They, they they got Pavarotti on board with this at one point before he was forced to distance himself from it. Um, I mean, there's also been some suicides. Uh, you know, and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, Jeremy Dugan is the guy's name, I think. Dugan, um, a a possible actual looks like pretty probable murder by the the Larouche group in Germany. I mean, there's so much to this guy, and it's so weird because like none of this needed to happen. <laughs> I mean, what one man is capable of, I suppose. Yeah. But it's like this guy was so obsessed with this giant. I mean, his whole thing is, you know, the Rockefellers, Rothschild, CIA, which, you know, but he also believes in good factions of that. Like he 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 had this whole universe that he constructed in his mind, some of which was much of which was based in reality, but he tries to make it real, you know? Mm. Like he, he tries to like combine those. He tries to tear down that membrane and combine like unreality and reality and make a new sort of reality where he is the center of a lot of the spy games. Like when that bust happened, he was probably thrilled. Yeah. You said something to me earlier where you said like his ideology is like LaRouche and not LaRouche. Yeah. And that that's the only way to kind of understand the way he views the world. And it's like he has this this viewpoint, but it's changing all the time. And that's part of like maybe the allure and the charm for some people is that there isn't actually something fixed. I don't know. I, I find the whole thing his death was very weird as well. Like he it was only he only died what, like two, three twenty nineteen. So pretty recently. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people made a lot of jokes, but it was weird because it was like his wife kind of announced it sort of on Twitter, but no one could really verify it. It happened, you know? And the only way that she, I think she linked to one of his articles, which was supposed to like, you know, maybe say something poignant. He, she wrote like, he lives in the simultaneity of eternity. It is now up to us to realize his life's work. 
And then she just cryptically linked to one of his articles in 1994 from 1994, which I tried to read. Can't understand any of it. And I feel like I should be able to called the truth about temporal eternity. Oh, I think they were kind of, yeah, classic one. So, um, yeah, I don't think it is actually up to us to realize his life work, but I would like to understand his life's work a little bit more because I'm not sure. Like I said, Confucianism, it's all over the place. There's a couple of things I learned from talking to the ex LaRouche guy that kind of put things in perspective for me. Mm. One is that there was a man who was a member of the LaRouche organization who kept a group of six LaRouche youth movement members in his basement in Virginia for four years. The first two, which were spent learning a Mozart um, song in uh, uh, or sonnet in, uh, in uh, scientific tuning. Uh, after two years of practicing, they finally played it for him. And within a few minutes, he cut them off and said it was garbage and then told them to focus on doing scientific experiments. Um, the second was that towards the end of his life, LaRouche fell in love. I mean, so LaRouche did not fuck most of his, like he wasn't like one of those like cult leaders who like fucks everybody. Um, but he fell in love with a very young in her early twenties woman in the LaRouche youth movement. She would uh, not sleep with him because he was in his late 80s or maybe actually I think early 90s at this point. Um, and uh, he went crazy. Like, you know how some people like are in love and then something happens and they kind of like lose their shit for a while, like act like manic mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, he did that and was like tr- – everyone was like really freaking out like what the fuck is going on? Like he's losing his mind. He's got dementia, et cetera. And uh, it turns out it was over this girl. He was threatening to kill himself unless she would marry him, which, by the way, he is already married to Helga Zepp LaRouche, the now uh, head of the LaRouche organization. And uh, then the members hushed it up by saying that he had a B12 deficiency. (laughs) So I think all of those things, you know, put together kind of sum up like, you know, this is like... Like the realm of kookery and the realm of non-kookery are often really hard to discern from each other. And and if you have a strong enough will, you can kind of make them into one. On the other hand, he like maybe broke Iran-Contra. Yeah, he also might have broke part of Iran-Contra. <laughs> but who broke that? For, you know what I mean? Like who gave him that? Maybe it was Oliver North. They were, Oliver he was North like in a high level war with him. I don't know. It's Yeah, yeah, he did. He, I guess he did have some stuff on Iran-Contra before anybody else did. The whole um, thing is just very odd. On the one hand, on the other. You know what I'm saying? I do, baby. I do. For once in this whole stupid LaRouche saga, I do know what someone's saying. <laughs> really good song about oliver north dude larouche's music fucking rocks Wait, they have you? a they have a yeah you sent you sent you sent me the lyrics you didn't send me the actual song i thought i sent um, the lyrics where oh yeah i don't know how the song goes but i want to read the lyrics where I would, are they i would love you to oh there they are wait i'm just gonna read it like a poem because i don't know how the song goes fine with me okay and not in mr ed boys Goodbye, Ollie. Yes, goodbye, Ollie. Why would anyone vote for you? You flew cocaine, Mm -hmm. Ollie, in your plane, Ollie. Stop your lying. Stop denying. George Bush knew it, too. I got a strong feeling that you're dope dealing. That means that the U.S. Senate can't use bums like you. You'd look swell, Ollie, hidden in a prison cell, Ollie. Ollie, you should be put away, locked up, and throw the key away. Ollie, you should be put away for good. I think that's actually really pretty good. good. That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I guess he was running for Senate at some point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's a boy. <laughs> yeah, they have they put out an anti-Trump song um, right before the election, but then immediately became very pro-Trump right after <laughs> the election. I think part of that had to do with the fact that Robert Mueller was going after Trump, mm. and in that case that Liz was talking about earlier. Robert Mueller was the lead prosecutor who no. was going after LaRouche. And so that is almost assuredly why, like they thought, yeah. 
Anyways, you can read LaRouche stuff. Um, China Daily uh, publishes a lot of LaRouche people. Um, a lot of Chinese newspapers, like official party newspapers, publish a lot of LaRouche people. Um, LaRouche people appear on, I think, Alex Jones sometimes. They are all over kind of alternative media left and right, uh, including this one. Uh, Liz and I are both adherents. We're not like full LaRoucheites. Oh, but, yeah. You know, we just double. He's right about the British. He's right about some things. That's that's yeah. the whole oh. thing. That's 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 what that's how they that's get complicated. You. All right, baby. Well, let's take a flight to Panama. My name is Brace. I'm Liz. We are, of course, as always, joined by producer Young Chomsky. This has been Tronon, and we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>